Hey everyone, I'm hoping this little bonus episode of Strong Reception can provide a bright spot of sunshine in your day, your week, whatever challenges you might be facing right now in a world that's facing a lot of challenges. Um, so I am really glad that I get to put out this mini edition of the show, which features some really fun music talk between me and Renee Graham, associate editor and columnist at the Boston Globe. Now, in the last episode, which I put out at the end of December, Renee joined me to pay tribute to musicians who passed away in 2020. And so, because Renee and I are both relentless music history nerds, we just kept talking after that episode was done. But I kept the tape rolling on our convo, and I got Renee talking about a band I knew was a top, all-time favorite for both of us, The Clash. The conversation contains some really incredible moments for me, including getting to hear Renee's perspective on why The Clash wasn't just an important band for fed-up white kids, which is usually the story, but that their music was crucial to kids of color like herself, especially in the late 70s and early 80s, the Thatcher-Reagan years when the band was happening in real time. Uh, I just want to correct a misstatement of fact that I do make in this podcast episode. Uh, I incorrectly state that The Clash and U2 were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in the same year, and that's not true. The Clash were inducted in 2003 and were introduced by The Edge from U2, but U2 were inducted two years later in 2005. Just wanted to clean that up uh, for the record. So I think this episode's a real treat. I love talking to Renee about music. I love the fact that as an accomplished music critic, she would even make time to talk to me. So um, when you get a chance, go back and listen to the last episode where we go in deep on music legends that we lost in 2020. It's called In Memoriam. Um, I'd love it if you subscribe to Strong Reception. You can do it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, Podchaser. I'm everywhere, people. It's, it's, it's a really easy way to know when there's a new episode online. Uh, if you dig my show, please let somebody know. I'd greatly appreciate it. Uh, follow me on Twitter at StrongPod. Here we go with Renee, The Clash, and me. I just finished listening to... Um, uh, the Spotify podcast, The Story of the Clash, Stay Free, um, uh, but which is narrated by Chuck D. Chuck D, yeah. Have you mm-hmm. listened to that? I did listen to that, yes. Oh, man. I just, I, I meant to listen to it. I meant to, I finally did it. I, oh, man, I was in heaven. So maybe I, that's why I'm thinking of that era. I'm always proud to say that when that the Clash had that those shows at Bonds in New mm. York, mm. I was there. What? Not at the show, not okay. at the show. Could not get in, mm. but in the crowd. That that was my that's my claim to fame. The crowd I was, outside. I was in the crowd outside, trying to figure out how to get in. Never yeah. made it in. Did you but, have a ticket or no ticket? I just okay. I don't know. I, I thought God would provide. I have yeah. no idea what I was thinking. Well, a I lot of just, people thought that. Yeah. I just wanted to get. I wanted to just be there. It felt like such an event mm. that I wanted. So I went down there with a friend of mine and we just kind of hoped that we could somehow like scalp a ticket. It was just, of course, it was impossible. But that, yeah, that was, that was a fantastic podcast. Yeah, it was really good. And, and Chuck D's voice being added to it was really special. Like his, just knowing that he was a Clash fan and how he came to be a Clash fan. And also just, here's a guy who's, you know, able to bring a totally different perspective than what we think of as the typical Clash fan. But also just the way that, you know, sort of that era of going into the late 70s into the early 80s, you know, sort of punk and hip hop 
were kind of distant cousins, mm. you know, and because the music was coming from the same place, mm. you know, dispossession, frustration. Yeah. Um, and so it, it, it made complete sense to me that Chuck D would love The Clash and The Clash loved hip hop. Mm. You know, Grandmaster yep. Flash Absolutely. and The Furious Five was opening some of their shows. So, and they got yep. that from the beginning. They understood the the parallels between between these different types of music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were upset with Thatcher. We were upset with Reagan. <laughs> they got yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it was it, it was music that definitely came out. Uh, Hip hop and punk definitely came out of of a very bleak time, a very a mm-hmm. time of, of great economic inequality and, and racial inequality. Yes, and uh, yeah, those those two emerging genres summed it up very well. Right. Um, were you? Uh, I'm just curious. This doesn't have to go in the podcast. Were you? So were you a, a fan of the Clash from the beginning? I know it was sort of hard to get their records at first. From the beginning. Okay. From the beginning, it just there was an urgency there that I, I really. I mean, I was in my teens, mm-hmm. um, and it just sounded. It had a danger to it and an yeah. urgency, and you know, I, I it also kind of changed my thoughts about England. Mm. Which always seems so, you know, so jolly and so easy and lovely. Right. Tea time. And the idea that they were having riots and that, you know, they had terrible leadership that didn't care about the people and unemployment was going through the roof. And, you know, I mean, and when you hear a line like, you know, London is drowning and I live by the river, it was like, mm. <gasps> like, like, I felt that line. I was like, yeah. oh my God, like, I get, I know exactly what he means. And then as it went on, then he had things like, you know, Radio Clash, which is a hip hop mm-hmm. song. Mm-hmm. Magnificent Seven was played on black radio stations and in black clubs. I mean, like, the, like, like, we got the clash instantly. Mm. You know, there was no rock the cat. We completely got it. Um, and so it wasn't like, you know, sometimes it was music you liked as a kid and people feel like, God, why are you listening to that? Nobody ever questions why, why you were listening to The Clash. Uh-huh. Yeah. The, the story of how like even getting their records in America was hard because uh, CBS wouldn't put out their first album because they thought um, it wasn't good enough to put out in America. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, uh, Americans wouldn't accept it. It's too, too uh, grungy. But they, you know, there were always there were always bootlegs. There were cassettes yeah. people had that you passed around. That if you had enough equipment, you would try to copy mm-hmm. <laughs> in some kind of way, so you'd have have it for yourself. But yeah, just just my goodness, that band was just like they were like a meteor. Like you knew they yeah. couldn't last for twenty years, right? right? But what they did in the time that they had was just so extraordinary. You know, yeah. talk. I mean, God, this, some of those songs are forty years old, which is really hard mm. to believe. And they um, still sound so fresh. They sound like today. Yeah. You know, yeah. and everything they're saying about, again, it, that, that's always the test. You know, does it hold up? And, and, and not every artist does, mm. <laughs> you know? Like I was listening, I was in the car the other day and I was listening to some radio station and they played Eminem's The Real Slim Shady. Okay. And I thought, boy, has any song ever sounded more dated? <laughs> He's got references to Tom Green. Who the <laughs> hell knows who Tom Green is? <laughs> the the guy who had the TV show, right? Uh, right. I comedian. thought, what a what a waste that was. Mm. I mean, but and he like the things he was saying about were just like they were at that moment, yeah. but they but they're not timeless. And what right. the Clash was doing, that's timeless. You know, you're right. I will say though, just a lot of hip hop has very contemporary references that don't hold up after a couple of decades. I would say like there's a lot of ref- I think that's just kind of one of the sort of 
standards of hip hop is a lot of, especially at a certain time, a lot of artists are just going to talk about things that were on TV or on the radio or sports athletes. Right. But some of it doesn't last. Like you can reference Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You can't be referencing Tom Green. I mean, I mean, that's just ridiculous. And I heard and I thought, I, and, and it's like two lines. And I thought it, it was, it was so, engineered for MTV mm, and for mm. an MTV audience of that era of, you know, the late nineties into the two thousands. I just thought, man, I'll, I'll bet he regrets that. <laughs> you know, what's interesting too, uh, just getting back to the clash is when I first heard the clash, I was in college with perfect time to get mm-hmm. into them. Um, and e- even though, you know, their music came out, you know, I think the first album came out the year I was born. Um, I, was still shocked even in the 90s to hear a band sing very loudly, I'm so bored with the USA <laughs> over and over. They're chanting, I'm so bored with the USA and all the reasons why, like saying like, you know, uh, talking about the horrible detective shows and the war crimes mm-hmm. and Cambodia. And I was just like, even then I was like, can they say that? Like <laughs> to me, it's like, doesn't everyone just love the USA? Like I thought all people from other countries think the USA is great. Like, wow, See, they actually are acknowledging the USA is not that great, and they're not from here. But what was great about the song to me, because it's funny, because I was in college when that song <laughs> came out, different era, was so were we. We were bored with the USA too. Mm. And it never would have occurred to us to say that out loud. And so suddenly when you heard it, you thought this isn't just kind of sour grapes. It's like, yeah, there's a reason, yeah. there's a lot of reasons to not feel great about the USA. Oh no, I was like, yeah, these reasons all make sense. Yeah, right. yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it was, it was to me. I was like, whoa, they really said that. And then the other one for me was uh, the song 1977, uh, No Elvis mm. Beatles or the Rolling Stones yeah. in 1977, and the way they said it, and the, it was melodic yet really uh, aggressive, and that guitar riff. And I was just like, wow, they're just really. Again, like not afraid to say, like forget. Let's forget the Beatles, Elvis, and Rolling Stones. Let's just forget them. Forget them. But but that song comes out the year Elvis died, mm. which again was ballsy. It just was. You know, it was like. But I don't think he had died yet. No, but he was on his way. Okay. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> we all knew. Y'all just knew it was a matter of time because boy, he was not at his best in that last year. <laughs> But you know, Aww. it's you know, funny. A funny clash story was uh, when I was in college. There was a, a, a sort of a, a camp, a club just off campus, and they would have, as many schools did in those days, a black night. It was like black huh. music night. Huh. So it was the night we were allowed to go out. Oh god! And and they would play all these black artists, and they'd play the Clash. Mm. They'd play Radio Clash, and they would play Magnificent Seven. Yeah. Wow, two great and, songs. And nobody objected because as far as we were concerned, the music they were making was for us and about us mm. as well. Love that. Just I love that band forever. Yeah, me too. They're just, yeah, forever band for me. And there was a moment in the podcast where uh they're this sort of the last episode when uh their their road manager, Johnny Green, wonderful cockney voice that guy has, mm-hmm. uh talking about uh running into uh the Edge from U2, The Edge and mm. Bono, uh, I guess they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame the same time The Clash was. Joe had already passed away. Mm. And, uh, you know, The Edge uh, saying, bonding with Johnny, was saying like, you know, the first gig I went to was in Dublin at Trinity College to see The Clash and it just made me want to start a band. And uh, 
he said something to Johnny like, "It's just such a, isn't it just a shame they didn't last longer?" And Johnny Green said like, "No, they weren't meant to. They just they weren't that kind of band. <laughs> that right. was just, just gonna last." It was kind of written in the stars. You kind of could tell, but that was okay. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was Henry Rollins who said that the Clash was the band you two always meant to be. Interesting. Yeah, <laughs> and I kind of thought I can kind of see that. Yeah, <laughs> if they weren't so bloody earnest, yeah, that maybe yeah. they could have gotten there, but they just couldn't get out of their own way enough to go there. <laughs> but you know, not to trash you two. Yeah, but- yeah. no, I, I don't immediately see the connection, but to the th- thematically, yeah, yeah. I think okay. the idea of sort of like you know sort of kind of a sense of rebellion and mm. striking up you know against authority yeah but then, but not in the way that the clash did it no i think you two still wanted to be kind of liked mm. and the clash didn't care mm. and, and i think it makes a difference yeah you're right you're right the clash didn't want to be like like they they worked against themselves in so many ways just like just in a way refusing to make money for the first 3 years of their career and i did so many things that were just like yeah, let, let's you know make sure everyone gets into our show. Doesn't matter if they have a ticket or not. Just let everybody in who's hanging around the right. back the back door and things like that. And and uh, the things they did spend their money on, it was like they they weren't interested in making a profit at all. It, no. And the, the the documentary really really points that out in a way. It's like, yeah, how did they survive actually? <laughs> and finally, it was really it wasn't until like Combat Rock really that that they had a chart hit. Right. By, by which point it was too late, <laughs> mm. really, even though that was a huge album with, with mm. Rock the Casbah. But it's just, you know, I always say to people, like, if that's all you know, go back. Yeah. Go, go back to the beginning because that's that's when you're really going to hear it. Nothing against Combat yeah. Rock, but no. boy, yeah. Well, it's just the journey they went on to get there in a short yeah. time. The, the musical journey is incredible. And the personal journeys they went on, it just the interpersonal it just—it is amazing they lasted as long as they did, which is only five years. You know, and I, I, I always had the dream that at some point, especially when they were getting inducted into the Hall of Fame, and and Joe Strummer died, mm. that I thought when they when they first were nominated, I thought, oh my god, are they going to get back together and, and perform? Mm. And then Joe died, mm. and I just—I remember I was just bereft for the rest mm. of that week, and I just thought, there's no clash without Joe. There's no. just no, there's nothing that you can't you can't replace him. No. And he was—he was almost the heart. Nothing against Mick no. Jones, but he was the heart and soul of that of the band. Yeah, he. It's hard. It's so hard to describe Joe Strummer to anyone who doesn't know anything about yeah. him. Just, just a one of a kind. Yeah, just so driven, and so and he, and so he was charismatic. Only like, was he like fifty or something when he, he was died? 50. It just, it just felt like, oh, come on, you know. It just yeah, that that was a that was a body blow. That was hard. I was devastated too. I, was, yeah. I bought a T-shirt. I happened to. Uh, I'm from Philadelphia, and I remember being in. Um, uh, th- there was a school of rock down there. There was a. I think it was called the Paul Green School of Rock or something. And they were uh, having a fundraiser, and they were selling T-shirts in this bar I happened to be in. And they had a, a handmade Joe Strummer Memoriam T-shirt, and I grabbed mm. it up right away. Wore it, wore it till it fell apart. <laughs> Just yeah, every now and then I'll you know I'll go into one of those rabbit holes on YouTube and just watch a bunch of clips of the clash. Yeah. And yeah. just go, my God. I mean, look, as well I feel happy to have lived in the same time as the clash. Mm. <laughs> you mm. know? This and that's what I mean. Like the difference between say the clash and, and Justin Towns era where I got to see it all in real time. Mm-hmm. And it's there's something really special 
to me about about that. It's, mm. I mean, it's great when you discover things later because it's great that they're there and they still have meaning. Mm. But it's when you kind of say, God, what's what are they going to do next? What's yeah. going to happen next? And you get to see it and, and be surprised or disappointed or whatever. It just, yeah, it just, it, again, five years. Wow. I, I didn't know it lasted that long because <laughs> it just, it, it felt like a bullet train. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, and you just thought you you can't you can't maintain this for that long. Mm. They, they were never going to be the Rolling Stones, right? Right, and that's and that's okay. Yeah, and and it's just this. I I one one more thing I want to say is like the, the, yeah, Joe is is such is just like the heartbeat of the band. There's no doubt about it. But like you know, it it took that special combination of those four guys uh, who mm. all brought their different things and personalities. And I also think uh, their original drummer doesn't quite get enough credit i also i I almost wish more people would talk about uh terry chimes's drumming yeah but everybody talks about topper (laughs) topper and he's great and he's amazing and he's Mm -hmm. considered one of the greatest drummers of all time but like he's not on the first album terry chimes plays the first album and the first Mm -hmm. album's amazing like his drumming on it is amazing but i think i think you make that kind of good point like these these four elements at that moment Mm. like had that was what it had to be like those four people in that moment and it's just oh you know even though you know mick jones later has you know big audio dynamite which Mm. a band i really liked Mm. you know but it wasn't the clash it wasn't supposed to be the clash but it just right god yeah yeah same with the mescaleros and yeah yeah, it's just you know everyone gets to carry on and do their thing but you know you you did have that to use the cliche lightning in a bottle yeah for five years yeah i mean you're gonna listen to all of you know paul mccartney has some good songs but (laughs) <laughs> not the Beatles. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not the person to talk. I'm. I'm not the world's biggest Beatles fan. Okay. <laughs> so I mean, I think they're fine. I'm nothing against them. They, <laughs> they're you know, fine. But I'm. Yeah, but I'm not one of those sort of like you know. Let me hit my knees and genuflect it. I just I'm not that person. So I I don't I'm I'm fine with Wings. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, and actually I like the Beatles more when they were Oasis. So there you go. Wait, what? Hold on. <laughs> I liked the Beatles more when they were Oasis. Yeah, because Oasis is so obviously a Beatles ripoff band, right? right. So you but like I Oasis really, better? I really liked Oasis. Yeah, I okay. really, I really, and you know, those first three albums, well, yeah, the first two albums were really good. Um, but you don't get to Oasis without the Beatles. So yeah. Mm. <laughs> well, it's okay. I appreciate. I just, your point I, of view. I, I, I love uh, the hate mail. I love. Uh, it. <laughs> Okay, well, hey, look, I I don't want anyone to send you hate mail uh, or, or or shoot you, you know, nasty looks. I no, I I am a I am a Beatles obsessed. So I just I just assumed that objectively we could say the Beatles were lightning in a bottle, and another group that, relatively speaking, didn't last very long. Right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, of, of that era, I'm more Stones fan by okay. far. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. More, it was more R and B based for me, and I, I, I mm-hmm. really did, yeah. And okay. but the Stones have, have been doing this too long. We know that. Okay, I'm holding my tongue on a lot of things. Hey, you uh, know, I mean, <laughs> we are where we are. No, I, I, I love, I love the Stones too. I love them both. I love them both. Mm-hmm. But, but, but me, I, and me, you know, some of it is is what you come to first, and I definitely came to the Beatles first, and and I never, I never get tired of them. I never mm-hmm. get tired of them. Yeah, it's a, it's an I don't I don't just I mean there are bands I absolutely hate. The Beatles are not one of them. Okay, okay, good. by a then, long shot. Okay, then yeah. we have a platform yeah. for peace. There you go. See, uh, <laughs> common ground, common yeah. ground. Okay, well I I will finally let you go here, uh, so you can 
do other things with your day. But this I really, was good fun. Yeah, thanks for me too. And uh, hopefully we'll talk soon. Okay, be well. Be well, you too. Oh man, what a ride. Uh, I want to say thanks again to Renee for being on the show. She is such a great guest. Uh, please check out her opinion column in the Boston Globe and follow her on Twitter at Renee Y. Graham. I'm a big fan of her tweets. Again, follow me on Twitter at E-L-I-O-E-L-I and follow Strong Reception at StrongPod. Thanks. Stay safe. <laughs>